Rocky Howard. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Oh, oh, you're about to get a dose of energy and goodness with this one. Rocky Howard, a fellow podcast host and the chief people and equity officer at The Mom Project is with me today to share her years of learnings around talent acquisition and retention and share her passion for meaningful diversity efforts in the workplace and beyond. She is loaded with knowledge and that's where we're going to start today. She's going to share some profound statistics and then be ready to jot notes as she shares lots in this short episode with how to move the needle on diversity in the workplace. Super grateful for her spirit and her mentorship. Let's get with Rocky. Rocky, I am so excited to spend this time with you today on Gut Plus Science, and we're talking about making meaningful diversity impact. I already know that you're about to throw some big passion and heart into this conversation. I was thinking, first up, you know, you coach leaders to move from good intentions to impact. I'd love for you to kick us off by starting about that. Oh, for sure, Nikki. And first of all, I just want to say how honored I am to be here and have this chat with you and the gut and science audience. I'm just absolutely honored. And I'm very passionate about how we move past our good intentions, because I do sincerely believe that most organizations have good intentions when it comes to not only diversity, but equity, inclusion, and belonging. I think we're all struggling to figure out how we turn those intentions into actual impact, because I truly believe that if you change the lives of so many people who are underrepresented in our organizations, and quite frankly, across the corporate landscape, then we change the world. And so I'd like to think about it in this way. And I'd like to kind of give us a little bit of a frame for where I see a big disconnect. And of course, my focus is deeply in the intersection of recruiting and diversity. And then of course, goes wider across the DEIB spectrum. But here's something really interesting that I think we can ponder. All of us, I would imagine if we had your audience in a room and we asked everyone to raise their hands in terms of, is diversity an important key initiative? Is it within your top three this year? I would be willing to bet that we would see probably 80 to 90% of the hands in the audience raised. Here's the interesting thing. While we're saying it's important and we're saying attracting diverse candidates and attracting diverse talent and retaining diverse talent is a key imperative for our organization. What I want to tell you is a little bit about how diverse talent sees the initiatives of our organizations. And so my friends over at Mathis they surveyed over 500 diverse candidates. And what I found when I read this report is that their perspectives of diverse candidates don't line up with our messaging and our commitment and how we see it. Let me share some stats with you. So 6%, only 6% of the people surveyed said that they had clarity on employers' diversity goals or efforts. So we're saying it's our top priority. We're doing all this work on it. And yet and still only 6% say they have clarity on what our goals and efforts are. Here's another staggering stat, Nikki. 62% of underrepresented job seekers report that they have experienced bias 
or been treated differently in the hiring process. So our intentions are not matching up with our impact. Let me give you a few more stats. 76% of underrepresented job seekers have observed a lack of diversity on our interview panels. And if you haven't heard, representation matters. It's are we walking our talk? And so when people show up and they don't see people who look like them or they don't see their dimension of diversity represented, it leaves a bit of a gap between what we're saying and what we're doing. And here's even another one is 50% of underrepresented job seekers have observed exclusionary or biased terms in our job descriptions. So we aren't even getting it right as we're reaching out to these candidates. But Nikki, here's the really heartbreaking stat for me and the reason why we have to move past our good intentions and actually start to have impact on this issue. 50%, half, half of all underrepresented job seekers believe that being from an underrepresented community is a disadvantage in the job search process. And I can tell you for sure, as a Black woman, I have experienced this and I've seen this, right? So while many of us are batting around the concepts of candidate experience, the data shows that our perspective on the experience of diverse candidates just may be lacking a bit. And that's why I think I always focus on, I understand that people have good intentions, but we've got to move past the intentions to impact because here's the reality of it. I'm just grateful that you shared many of those stats because what I was thinking as we opened up this conversation is good intentions aren't enough and they can't be an excuse. Like we can't just lean on, oh, well, I intended to do that. If one of your top three priorities is to move the needle on diversity inside your organization, and this is a must that we do need to include everyone, like we just need to come to the commitment that intentions aren't enough and they can't be an excuse. And intentions don't yield results and they're not truly what move people forward. So there's our first really great takeaway. Thank you for all the stats. I'd love to start going down the path of your mentorship and really leaning into what you've learned. Give us the most important considerations to building a workplace diversity strategy. For sure. I just want to add one other thing on the intentions. If we are wondering, I think Unfortunately, sometimes saying to organizations, we're going to have DEIB initiatives because it's the right thing to do is not enough. But let's think about how this impacts our business. Let's set aside for a moment that it has been proven that companies who have diversity perform at something like 120%, their financial goals hit 120% over their peers who don't have initiatives. But if nothing else, think about the challenge you have in recruiting talent across the board. And while we've been throwing around the words, the great resignation, because somewhere between 2.3 and 5 million women left the workplace last year. If you need a real business tie back to why getting this right is important, look at how tough it is to recruit great talent today. Look at the people who are saying your intentions aren't enough anymore, and they're just opting out of the workforce. We need to get this right. And so I think when you think about getting it right, let's talk about those considerations. And here's the challenge. 
People don't expect for you to get this perfect. I want you to hear this. And if you're thinking, oh, I feel horrible, we're not as far down the path as I'd like for us to be in our organization on pulling together our workplace diversity strategy, I want you to know that you're not alone. When I was at Smart Recruiters, and Smart Recruiters has put out a wonderful toolkit that I was mostly responsible for doing, it is a toolkit that is free of charge to any client or anybody that wants to take it. And it assesses diversity, hiring, maturity. And when you take it, you get this 20-page report that allows you to really assess your organization's diversity, hiring, maturity. It gives you things that you can go back to your desk and actually execute. But where I'm going with this is there's four stages of diversity, hiring, maturity in this model, one, two, three, four. And what I want you all to know is that something like 70 to 75% fell in stages one or two. So if you're just getting started on this, put the guilt aside. It's okay. You're not by yourself. And Nikki, that's why it's so important. And I'm so excited to see Gut and Science tackling this because this is an area that we really need to crowdsource. This is not an area where we need to go, oh, this is strict proprietary information and I need to do it by myself. We really need to share with each other. And so from my perspective, There's one key consideration that sets the stage for everything else. What does a successful diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging culture look like for your organization? Because what we tend to do is we tend to go out and we look at best practices from companies that may not be like ours, may not have the resources we do, and a whole lot of things. You don't know how many organizations do a bit of pay to play to get on the best of lists, and you don't know what goes on behind the scenes. So instead of benchmarking success by all of these other organizations, let's look at them. Let's see what they've done well, but then let's take that back. And let's start at one key place. Let's start by saying, what does DEI mean to my organization? And let's work through that. What does it mean? What does success mean? What dimensions of diversity are we going to focus on? How are we going to measure success? And how are we going to measure accountability? And I think if you could really start there, and we've all heard about SMART and make some goals that are really SMART, that's the core consideration because it will drive all of your other initiatives. It should be your due north. I'm really glad that you took a moment to go and take a step back and say, this isn't about being perfect because we were talking about, hey, intention isn't enough. That's one box. The other box is no one's perfect at this and we're all on a journey. We need to be educated and meaningful in our diversity action. So I love that you shared that. Now, when you're talking about not one plan fits all, it's kind of like we talk about culture strategy a lot. Same thing. It's not what the next door neighbor company did that won best places that is going to fit for your organization. So if you could break down a little bit more about what this looks like to be really thoughtful and meaningful in designing your strategy and really illustrate the time it takes to do that as well. Well, it takes quite a bit of time, right? And I think a lot of us focus on the hiring piece, but I think you have to think about the whole employment life cycle. 
And so start right from the start and walk all the way through that life cycle when you're thinking about your diversity strategy. Start at the beginning. What does your brand look like? Do you have great diversity equity, brand equity? We all know that companies with great brand equity are able to attract candidates. Why would it be any different? Look at your diversity brand equity and see what your messaging is to diverse candidates, especially those dimensions of diversity that you're interested in targeting. As we go through the process, look at every step in your process. Have you identified what diversity means in your organization? Have you made that public? Can people see support throughout the organization? How do you give accommodations to people that come into your recruiting process? What is their experience like when they come into the recruiting process? To the stat that we mentioned earlier, do people see themselves represented when they go through the recruiting process? Are you aware? Let me just tell you one other thing. We could do a whole conversation on this. You can't get rid of bias, but how have you worked with your hiring managers to interrupt that bias so that you're getting the best people for the job? What kind of exclusionary requirements do you have that may have an adverse impact on a whole group of diverse people? I'll use an example. When we think about education, can you rethink your educational requirements? I'll be very vulnerable here. I'm an executive that doesn't have an undergrad degree. And that was a real challenge. And that goes into a lot of social economical factors that, again, we could have a whole separate conversation on that. But when you have coordinator positions that require a four-year degree, is that really necessary? If you have sales positions, is it really necessary that people have a degree or are you excluding people? As you get people through the process and now they've started, have you created a culture where people feel like they not only got the seat at the table, but that their perspective is heard and that they're valued and that they actually belong. I mean, what I find is that, especially in tech companies, there's this prevalent saying about bring your whole selves to work. Nobody really wants anyone to bring their whole selves to work. We're not prepared for it. So how are you preparing for people who are different to interact and all feel comfortable and all feel respected. And here's another really big thing. A lot of times we focus on bringing in diverse talent, but what are your talent management processes that allow you to develop and retain that talent? How are you creating a culture where people feel welcome? How are you growing and developing diverse talent internally? And then ultimately, we are going to have people that leave. What is the experience of people that leave? So again, while this is hours and hours of work, I hope that helps in the fact that you have to think about this throughout the talent life cycle. So Rocky, I'd love for you to share who leads diversity strategy, especially highlighting it's not one person or a few people on the team's job. Maybe even tell a story where there's a company that you've worked with and ownership among the organization is awesome and the impact is admirable. What I would do is say this, and let me take it from this perspective, because I don't know too many companies that get it perfectly. But what I do think is that here's the challenge. 
our senior leaders in most organizations are very committed to diversity. And so you see things from the top down. And then you have the grassroots initiatives of people who come into your organization who see it and are pushing it for the bottom up. Your ERGs, your diversity councils, those individuals are very passionate about pushing it up. Where I find the real struggle is with the middle management piece of it all. There's a stat that says 44% of managers feel like they don't have time to be bothered with diversity initiatives because we haven't made the time and space. We haven't connected the benefits to their ability to be able to drive operational outcomes. And so often we point the finger to those organizations and we say, oh, well, the chief diversity officer owns diversity or the CEO owns diversity, or the head of people owns diversity. The truth is everyone in an organization owns diversity. And I think what we have to do in the organizations that I see do it very well, it's tied to a core value. The core value is not something that's just on the wall. People are open to challenge what diversity means in our organization. And when they see something go wrong, they say something. They're constantly evolving and they have systems to look at. Here are the goals that I have set and their statistics, their goals, their true KPIs. They have measurements by it. They're being transparent about here's the progress we're making or here's the progress we're not making, but here's where we really try to get it right. And they approach it from, I'll do a ping off of gut and science, right? They approach it from a heart and head perspective. So they're helping people in their organization really understand why valuing everybody else is such an important thing. They help understand and bring to life the voices of diversity and the experience of people and connect it to people who are in majority. This doesn't belong to underrepresented people. It belongs to us all. And then we start to get that heart piece that I have a responsibility. I am my brother or my colleague's keeper. And then we tie it to performance. We tie it to goals. Oh my goodness, we tie it to performance and bonus plans because with any other core business initiative, if you want to see progress, there are goals and KPIs and it's tied to my performance and it's tied to my money in some way. And why should diversity be an exception? Rocky, you gave us some reality stats on candidate experience in hiring when we were kicking off. Can you tell us your experience with hiring diverse talent? This is your world. And I'm also, before we go to break, I want to talk more about the mom project because we want to learn more about that. But just your overall experience in hiring diverse talent and what you've learned to be best practices in meaningful hiring. The best example I can give, and there's a couple of places I'm going to go here, is there's the hiring piece and there's the retention piece. And so I think when you think about hiring, it's some of the things I mentioned before. Look at your requirements. I was in a situation where at one point in time, I built a team that had 50% cultural diversity, gender equity, 15% LGBTQ, 12% that... And we didn't set out to hit those numbers. What I set out to do is to look at scrubbing those job descriptions and not having qualifications that really didn't matter and didn't impact a person's ability to perform their outcomes. And we really started to look more at culture ad 
while this isn't politically correct, I will tell you, we used to say we're a special brand of crazy. And as long as you're complimentary crazy and you have the core skills to be able to do this job, we will invest in you and we will take a risk on you. We upped our training and development to be able to take a person who may not have had an ideal resume and put them through a training program. And we were able to reach incredible, incredible outcomes. And then our retention was pretty high. And when you looked at the cultural assessment year over year, my team's cultural assessment was really high because we then continued that mentality all the way through. And I think one of the things that I've learned, not I think I know, but being here at the MOM Project, our work labs division did a study of over a thousand women. And there's a white paper that you can check out at worklabs.com called Building a Better Workplace, 10 Drivers for Women's Success at Work. And you'd be surprised. I think we're always looking at things that require an investment, but some of the top things that people are looking for and asking about and trying to suss out as they interview us and the things that will retain women in the workplace specifically, and I think all dimensions of diversity, are things like flexibility, respect, core benefits, recognition and development, the ability to be able to dialogue with leaders, looking at off our events and travel. Am I penalized from being promotions because I don't want to play golf on Saturday because I've got to take my kid to a soccer game? What's the culture and collaboration piece? Those are the things that matter to people when we think about diverse talent and being able to attract them and retain them. So good. I'm loving this. Okay. I just thought of this question before I'm going to have you dive into the mom project because we want to learn a little bit more before we take a break. So if you had the opportunity to lead our listeners to do one key thing or to prioritize this one thing in their leadership efforts that would dramatically impact the outcome of how statistics that you were talking about in the beginning would look significantly different, what would that one practice, if you could choose one, be? that you would encourage our leaders to put at the top of their list and prioritize? Hold all of your leaders accountable. Management 101, not even leadership 101, but management 101, we learned very early that we inspect what we expect. And so if you don't have a way to inspect how your managers are adding to your diversity initiatives, then you can't expect good outcomes. We want to hear all about the mom project. Like give us the history where the name comes from and what you all do. Oh, I'm so excited to do this. Allison Robinson is our founder and our CEO and our chief mom. And Allison comes out of big corporate America, had her first baby, went back to work and was hit with the pregnancy penalty and thought there has to be a better way to do this. And hence the mom project was born. And so what we do at the mom project is we really focus on working with companies who want to help support bring mom back to work and recognize that mom didn't stop working. She just did a different job. And so now if we want mom to work for our company, instead of working to build the future leaders and build the future employees, and mom wants to do that while she's working for us, 
then here's how we do that together. And so we work with companies. We're an HR tech company. We use our tech. We have recruiting resources and we match our community of over 600,000 moms to great companies who want to support how they want to work. We also support moms through our community, giving them everything from support in terms of mentorship, resume support, networking, connection to the jobs. Our work labs division creates wonderful content and research to help companies understand the importance of having moms at work. And then our momproject.org division, our nonprofit organization, has a tremendous program called RISE, where we actually work with companies to upskill and give certifications specifically to women of color who are looking to come back into a more traditional work environment and do that in a way that's economically successful for themselves. So I'm so proud to be at the Mom Project and I'm always so proud to share our story. I love the story, the cause and your meaningful offerings at the Mom Project. And I'm glad we got to shine a light on the great work that you all are doing. Rocky, this has been such an honor to spend the time with you and just so energizing as I called it out to be as an intention in the beginning here. And I really value the time. And I know our listeners just love these rich takeaways. We would love to learn a little bit more about you in our lightning round. We're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor message today, and we'll be right back. If you're leading with a people-first mindset, which most likely you are because you're listening to Gut Plus Science, join People Forward Network, the largest community of humans on a shared mission to lead meaningful work. You can find us at peopleforwardnetwork.com or follow People Forward Network on LinkedIn. All right, we're here on Gut Plus Science going into our lightning round with Rocky Howard. Excited to learn a little bit more about the personal side of Rocky. So Rocky, we'd love to hear your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read. Well, I have to tell you, I am a voracious reader. So my favorite book of all time, I just can't do that. But I will tell you what I am all about right now is Lars Schmidt's Redefining HR. If you are in HR and you haven't read it, please pick it up. I've learned so much. It is a way of really thinking about how transformative people, teams really take the approach to redefine HR. It is a great read. Oh, thank you for that. And Rocky, how about a favorite hobby when you're not working? Ha, I'm on my bike. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love my bike as well. I love a good bike ride. Yes. And how about, where's your favorite vacation spot? Right here at home. I've done it, to be honest. I am a nester and there's nothing I love more. To be fair, I live in Florida, so I feel like I'm on vacation all the time, but I love nothing better than to be at home with my husband, hanging out with my kids and my dogs and curled up with a great book and a glass of something in the middle of the day that I usually don't get to drink. Yes. Oh, that sounds lovely. And Rocky, how can our listeners connect with you after the show today? I would really love if people would connect with me on LinkedIn. That is the place that I'm most active and I'm most responsive. I am on other places in social media, but LinkedIn is the place where I am most active. All right. I told you that this episode was packed with so many great takeaways. So we noted a lot of those stats in the beginning. I didn't capture them in the outro, but I think it is so important for us to be aware of those stats because they are a big reality check. Here's my key takeaways, my truth you can act on from the episode today with Rocky Howard. 
Number one, intentions aren't enough and we can't use intention as our excuse. It's not about being perfect, as Rocky shared, but we must be educated and thoughtful in our diversity actions. Number two, start with what does a successful diversity, equity, inclusion outcome look like for your organization? So begin with the end in mind as we do with many things. And so Rocky shared that that is the most powerful thing to start with is get really clear on what does success look like for your organization first, and that might take some time to define. Number three, diversity strategy should be incorporated into all layers in your organization and rooted in the company's core. So like tied to the core values, as she shared as an example. And number four, I asked Rocky, what is the number one most profound advice that you would ask everyone to prioritize? And she said, holding leaders accountable the accountability factor is number one. All right. With that, such a great episode. We'll see you next time. Thanks again, Rocky. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.